It's been a while since I've sent out an email to everyone, hasn't it? So um, I just wanted, the reason for the email was I wanted to address uh, some of these issues that people have regarding how they process their emotions, in particular, how they process their emotions about things that I say. Because what I find happens is that a lot of people listen for, some, for a period of time and then I say something that really grates them badly, right? That really annoys them or upsets them or is very personal. And instead of letting themselves sit, settle into those emotions, what they have a tendency to do is to really overreact with that emotion and live in the emotion, which is actually not the divine path, by the way. So remember, all the things that I've taught you about the divine path so far have all been about owning your own emotions, allowing yourself to settle into your emotions, feel your emotions, process your emotions. And then when you do that, when you're in that state of complete ownership, obviously God can connect to you far better. But unfortunately, a lot of people haven't got that message yet, and so they respond quite angrily and upset with me, which has been happening for the last four or five weeks uh, for some I've got quite a lot of different uh, messages over that period at times. And even though at times you don't send me the message, trust me, when you feel it, I feel it. So I just want to <laughs> remind you of that. And so every time you get upset and angry with me, I'm feeling that. I can feel who it is and what they feel about it and why. And, <laughs> and uh, obviously, uh, sometimes there's hundreds or even thousands or sometimes in the case of spirits and millions of them doing that at one time, which can be a bit overbearing. Of course I get the good ones too, but unfortunately because I'm still working through unworthiness, the bad ones have a greater effect on me. <laughs> so that's the way it goes. Now do all of you have a handout for today's session? Yep. Today's session is about longing for divine love. And what I wanted to do today, uh, this is probably the most important piece of information that you could ever tell any single person that you could ever discuss anything to do with God with. Now, the reason why I've left it this long to tell you this, and I and you'll know that I've done, I have told you many messages over the over the last 18 months for, for many of you that have known me for that long about receiving divine love and how you receive divine love and so forth. The reason why I've waited until now is that it's really important that you understand the emotions inside of yourself and you understand your own soul before you actually get some of this information. And so that's what I've been doing the last 80 months. It's basically preparing your soul for the reception of the most important truth of the universe, which happens to be today, what we're going to present today. Now, many of you already know it because I've discussed it many occasions before, but today I want to discuss it in detail. And in fact, the detail that I'll be providing today is not the normal, I'll even go further into detail to it in coming discussions. The reason why it's so important is because without this one thing, your soul cannot expand beyond the sixth sphere. So this particular discussion is all about how you can eternally expand as an individual. Whether you're living here on earth, and there's lots of spirits here today as well, whether you're in the spirit world or living here on earth. This information is the most important information you could ever receive. But it's connected to God. And when we hear the term God, many of us still have this shudder sort of feeling, right? Where we feel like, oh, this God stuff, you know, it's all getting a bit too religious for me. And we start going down that track. 
I sort of, the, my inter, internal viewpoint of God is a, a mixture of things. And one of the things that I internally view God is that it's a scientific fact to me that God exists. And later, down the track, we'll be talking about, and I'm not talking today, I mean down the track in later discussions, we'll be talking about how we can actually prove to ourselves that God exists. Right? But the information you receive today is one of the ways you can prove it. Because it's the reception of divine love when you ask for it that you start receiving it and you start feeling the changes within you and if you can start trusting that emotionally, that's going to prove to you the truth that actually God exists. And God doesn't exist as some kind of far-out, nebulous sort of energy source. It's not like that at all. God is a personal being, an entity, with whom you can have a relationship. So, for example, if you were just thinking for a moment, if you thought of God as an energy source, then God becomes like an electricity plant. (laughs) If you think of God as just the energy of the universe, then you can think of God as the electricity plant of the universe. Now, do you have an emotional relationship with your common, your local electricity plant? <laughs> you don't, do you? Like, right? You might have a bit of an emotion about it when you plug in the power turn on the switch and nothing happens, right? Then you might have an emotion. But you don't actually have feelings of love go to your electricity plant and feelings of love come back from your electricity plant. Right? Those kind of things just don't happen. And and this is the problem, if, if we conceive God as being some kind of energy system of the universe, then we have a very, very incomplete viewpoint of God and also it's going to be very, very difficult for us to connect to God. Can you see that? But if we see God as a being who is my creator, your creator, my creator, and we start connecting to God on a very, very loving and personal basis, now we have a love transaction that can occur between ourselves and God. So what I'm going to suggest today, and one of the, re- one of the reasons for discuss- discussion today, is to address this emotional issue that some of us had, that God is still not real to us, but rather God is sort of some kind of far-off concept. Right? And what I'd like to do is, instead of thinking that way, pull it back into this God actually being your parent a person, if you like, that you can connect to, that you can emotionally connect to and receive love from and get love, you know, and and give love to. Does that make sense? And if you start conceiving God in this manner, what will happen is the, the, the relationship between you and God can be established. So every spirit that's listening to our discussion today too, there are still many spirits who don't even believe in a God. They don't believe in a personal God. Or they believe that God is some kind of punishing, vindictive God because many of the spirits who attend our sessions in the spirit world are in the hells of the spirit world, so they feel like they're being punished by God, right? which is not actually a truth, but it is something they believe inside of themselves. And so what they do is they go down the track then of either feeling that God exists but is a punishing, wrathful father or going down the track of, no, God's just an energy force and not really understanding the universe at all. So what I'd like to encourage you to do over this session today is to start conceiving God as a person whom you can connect with, your best friend that you can connect with. 
And that's how I've felt about God ever since I was, shortly after I was born and started to feel about these things that are universal. Now, in the handout that I've given you, I think these have got adjustable... I like this. <laughs> on the handout I've given you, on the second to last page, page five, there's a message that I'd like to read to you. The reason why I'd like to read it to you is that uh, this is like this is a, a summary of a, of many of the messages that are in the pageant messages. So in that book that I've just shown you, and many messages are like this. Uh, and I wanted to read one that was quite concise so that you could get the idea of what divine love does to your soul. So this is a man, Los Trenos, who lived in Spain during the Inquisition of the Catholic Church. And he's in the celestial spirit, in the celestial heavens now, but he wanted to talk about some of his experience while he was on earth and when he was in the spirit world. So here he goes. I am here, Los Trenos. I am the spirit of a man who was murdered in the Inquisition of Spain because I would not declare that I believed in the false and damnable doctrines of the Romish church. I was a student of the Bible and I learned that the church was not teaching and enforcing the true doctrines of Jesus and I would not surrender my beliefs even to save my life. The unholy and devilish priests and persecutors racked my body and tortured my mind and at last tore me asunder. But my soul preserved its faith and came to the spirit world in the fullness of its belief, all unspotted from these false teachings of the church. There were many who were tortured and killed as I was because they would not recant. So this man was torn apart, physically torn apart. That's how he died. Well, I became a spirit in all the vigor of my manly strength and greater, but I did not find myself in heaven as I expected. For I did not know what the great love was, but yet I was not in such darkness as were some of my persecutors who followed me into the spirit life. Of course, I was more or less human, and when these church devils came into spirit life and found themselves in hell, I naturally rejoiced and enjoyed for a time their suffering and condition of hellish torment, and used to visit them and charge them with my murder. But after some years, I realized that such satisfaction as I thought I experienced did not give me happiness or help me to progress, and I became sympathetic and tried to help them, which was not easy to do at first. As I continued to help them, I found that my soul was being benefited and that I was gradually getting out of the darkness in which I had been living. And so I continued this work until, at last, I came into the light and a knowledge of the truth, that by helping and trying to love my enemies, I was helping myself. I will not take the time to relate to you my, fortunate, my fortune in meeting some spirits who I know possess the great love of the Father and how they taught me the way to this love, but I will only say that I am now one of the redeemed children of God and the possessor of that love and have my home in the celestial heavens. And to show you how wide and all-embracing this, this great love is, I must inform you that some of these very priests and minions of the church who committed the outrages of which I speak are now in the celestial heavens also, and of course the possessors of this great love, all their sins having been eradicated by the merciful workings of this love in their souls. 
Of course, they suffered the torments of the damned when they first came to the spirit life and for a long time afterwards, but the love of the Father and his mercy were sufficient to wash away even their sins. So from this you will see there is no sin so heinous and deadly that the Father's love will not destroy, or rather destroy the effect of it. You must excuse me for intruding as I have, but I saw that you have the gift of receiving communications from this side of the great divide, and I wanted to try the experiment. I am a redeemed child of God and can never thank him enough for his mercy. So with all my love, I will say goodnight, your brother in Christ, Los Trenos, the martyr to a belief that was not true belief, not, but not so vile and ungodly as the one that he renounced. <laughs> Obviously, Los Trenos wanted to make a few <laughs> points about that. <laughs> so what we see in this exp experience of this spirit is what we see over and over again with many, many spirits. And I've talked to literally hundreds of thousands of spirits who have progressed from the hells of the spirit world and slowly progressing, and many of them have even reached the celestial world, which, remember, is the eighth sphere or above. Now, remember, from a scientific or a technical point of view, the eighth sphere is like an eighth dimension. It's a dimensional space of existence. The first sphere is the first dimension, another dimensional space of existence. The first sphere is a darker sphere, and as you progress, so does the light increase. But the only reason why the light increases is because the love increases. So that's why it feels brighter, it feels nicer as you progress. Now, there are two, remember in all of our discussions, we've said there are two ways of progression. What are those, what are those ways? There's the natural love path, which is developing the love inside of yourself. Then there's the divine love path, which includes the natural love, but is actually receiving God's love into your soul. Now, today's discussion focuses on receiving divine love into your soul. And remember I've said that God is an actual being of which there is scientific evidence and proof which we will provide in time to you. And in fact, that one of the goals of the 14 who have returned is to actually provide you complete truth about the existence of God. But once that truth is provided, that often gives you more faith that you can have a personal relationship. But at the moment, what's facing each one of us is we don't necessarily have so much faith about the existence of God, but we love hearing a lot about the truths of the universe that I've been discussing with you. So what I'm finding is, for many of us, you're fascinated when I talk about spiritual, you know, spiritual matters. You're fascinated when we talk about you know, channeling and all those mediumistic type things. You're fascinated when we talk about the human soul and how everything works. And you're fascinated about the emotions and how they impact upon your children and all these kind of things. But when it comes to talking about two primary subjects, which, by the way, are the two greatest truths in the universe, which is the importance of divine truth and the importance of divine love, for many of us, we feel not as emotionally connected to that discussion. Have you felt that yourself? Like, you felt like, oh, I'm not feeling this so much. The reason why that is the case is because we are so used to doing all the metaphysical stuff. We are so used to looking and examining physics and metaphysics. By physics, I mean the actual physical life from a physical, from a physical or mathematical point of view. And by metaphysics, I mean the actual spirit life using similar sort of techniques. And so now there's lots and lots of information being bombarded at you from all over the world 
of proof that there is life after death, right? And there's all this information about the integration between the two lives, the spirit life and the material life. And there's all this information available to you, but the greatest information, the information that's going to make your soul progress the most, is often the information that we're the least interested in, which is quite sad, really, isn't it? Yeah. So what, what I'm trying to do today is allow you to contemplate that perhaps there's some information that is the greatest information that you could be contemplating. What I've been noticing, many of you now posting different things on the forum, and Mary reads the forum probably a lot more than I do, and uh, but she often, we often discuss it because Mary's often fascinated with what's going on at today. And so what happens is Mary brings up something and we're discussing the forum, but what I see what's happening a lot of times is like when the issue of, oh, shall I have pets in the divine love sanctuary comes up, there's a whole long list of postings, right? That maybe, you know, maybe 50 or 60 of them. And when the issue of like eating raw fruit and vegetables come up, there's a long posting about that. But as yet, I haven't seen much posting about the soul. The actual, the deepest truths are still really being skipped over by many of us. Can we see that? And why are we doing that? Can you see that our focus is still very much on the physical? rather than, or on the metaphysical, and less on the soul. What we discuss today is about the true soul development that each of us needs to do. And that soul development is about love. And there's only two ways you can grow in love. One way is by developing the natural love in you. And every single religious format on earth basically does that. They help you develop the love that's inside of yourself for others. It also helps you develop morally. So that's why most religious formats have different moral guidelines, which often then become rules, which often then become, you know, you must not or you must do's. Um, but in the end, they are still moral guidelines that can help you to progress. But there, are, there is very few religious formats that focus on the relationship that you can have with God without having religion. Because you do not need to have religion to have a relationship with God. Religion is just man's creation trying to define God. And what we're wanting to do is find out what God's definition of God is. Wouldn't that be much better? So when, I, when we were on earth in the first century, what happened was that there was, this, there was this time of development for myself which went for nearly 30 years. And then once I could feel myself in that condition of at one moment with God, I then started to do what was called a public ministry, what I called the public ministry. And what would happen in that public ministry was John the Baptist would go ahead of me into a town and he would prepare the town morally in natural love. So he would help that town, you know, he, he would speak openly to the town and lots of people would come around him. He was a very, very good speaker, far better speaker than I am. And so lots of people would come around him and he would, he would have this long discussions with them about developing natural love. And, and as that, as that occurred, um, lots of people's hearts were open to love, right? Just developing the natural love. And then a month or so later, I would go into that town and I would speak primarily about the divine love. Because usually a person needed to be opened a bit, bit to love at least before they could hear the truth about divine love. And so after a little while, there came to be a group of people, similar to yourselves really, 
that when I went to speak somewhere, a group of people would come and we'd sit down and we'd talk about a certain subject, right? So it wasn't anything planned or anything like that. It was just the law of attraction at work. I'd go to a certain town. The people who wanted to listen just gathered around and away we went, right? A lot of times on the side of a mountain or on the side of a hill or, or you know, sometimes I was actually in a boat across the water and all sorts of things occurred. But one of the things that would happen in each case is there would be a group of people who really wanted to practice the truths they were hearing. And so they would always want to come along with me wherever I went, generally. So they would just follow me wherever I went. We finished up having a camp, you know, and, and, and eventually, you know, there'd be sometimes even up to 100 people in that camp who would follow along and we'd, we'd talk about all sorts of things. Now, one time... Um, we were near the Sea of Galilee and we'd just finished talking to a whole group of people and there's a mountain near the Sea of Galilee called Mount Tabor and we've, we walked to the foot of the mountain after talking and then um, I wanted to walk to the top of the mountain so all of the others just followed, <laughs> followed me. Often they followed me away behind me, I don't know why because I, I didn't <laughs> like, but what would often happen is they'd all get discussing something that I'd said, similar to what you do actually, They'd all discuss something, what I said, oh, I don't know if I can agree with that, oh, I don't know if I can believe that, I don't, you know, they'd go through all of that, but they wouldn't tell me that, of course, right? So, so I'd, I'd know that that's going on, and so a lot of times I'd be walking ahead and, and uh, eventually when I met Mary, she'd be with me, but the others would be, um, you know, talking about things behind us generally. But anyway, we went up the top of the mountain, and usually what I like to do is I like to pray in places that were like, important to me and, and Mount Tabor was important to me from a, from a time that I was a child. And so um, we'd sit down at the top of the mountain and, and um, I would usually then go off to be private and pray. And in this case, Mary wasn't with me yet, so uh, there was just mostly a group of male disciples with me at that point because a lot of the female uh, disciples didn't come with me until, until Mary was with me. So um, there was a group of men basically all sitting around and they were all talking and then I came back from praying and, and sat down with them and they asked me what I was doing. And I said to them, well, I was praying. And they all went deadly silent, right? It's like total silence. And then um, Thaddeus, who was one of them, said, uh, um, can you tell me what praying is? Because I don't know what praying is. I'm sorry, but I don't know what praying is. Some words to that effect. And so what ensued then was a discussion about prayer, which is the same kind of discussion that I've been having with you over the last few months. Remember, we've talked about prayer firstly in terms of what it is. Remember our first discussion about prayer, for those of you who were that, was about a longing from the soul and how it has to be in truth and in harmony with, with desire and passion and all those kind of qualities of prayer. So we've talked about that. And then the last time we got together, we talked about how prayer is actually harmonious with truth. There has to be truth involved. So you can actually long for truth or pray for truth. So whenever I use the word pray, if that's too religious for you, just use the word longing right? or having a passion for, if you can think of it that way. I have a passion for truth. That's a prayer. I have a passion for whatever you have a passion for will be a prayer. Now, if it's in harmony with love, the prayer will be heard by God. If it's not harmonious with love, then the prayer is usually heard by a lot of other people um, in the spirit world who are not very harmonious with God, and they help you go the opposite direction. Does that make sense? 
So it all just depends on what kind of harmony with love is as to who listens to this prayer. But it's all longing, passionate longing. And, and so we sat down and we actually, um, I actually described a sample prayer to them. And the sample prayer that I wanted, that, that is mentioned in the passage message, pageant messages is almost the exact sample prayer that I discussed with them. It's not in the Bible because most people didn't understand it by the time they got to write it in the Bible. So what you ended up with in the Bible was, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy king, all those kind of things, right? And not, very little of that was what I actually put in the original prayer. The reason why I want to discuss this prayer with you, because it, it actually shows you many of the reasons why we are not connecting with God. And every single reason why we're not connecting with God will need to be addressed. And the beauty of the prayer is it reminds you of the reasons. And if you have a feeling in your heart, you will actually start feeling those reasons inside of yourself when you're praying. <coughs> so what I'd like to do on the last page of your handout, That sun's sort of changing all the focuses, isn't it? I'm going to have to move out of the sun for a moment. Just... Sorry about that. Um, yeah, well, it, it doesn't really make much difference because all along here is the same sun, so I'm just going to have to stand above it. Not that I can be very good at that. Um, what I'd like you for a moment to picture is that God is not only your creator, but God is your friend. <coughs> and you have the ability to connect with God. And God always wants this connection with you. In fact, the way God designed her universe was in such a way that every single thing that happens to you is there in order to draw you to her. So all the laws that are being created are all laws that have been created to draw you back to God. So how many of you have heard of the law of attraction? The majority of us heard of the law of attraction. That's a law that's there that's, that God uses to draw us back to God. The law of cause and effect, the law of desire, the law of compensation, the law of karma, all of these different laws are laws that God's established in order to bring us back to God. So... God wants you. God wants your longings. You know, there is only, in fact, one thing that God can't get because of the way she designed her universe. There's one thing that God does not have control over. You know what that is? It's actually your soul. God doesn't control your soul because your soul has free will. And in particular, there's one thing God would love to have from you and that is your love. But that is a gift that you can give God. It's not something that God expects from you, and it's not something that God demands of you, but it is something that God would love, dearly love to have from you. Many of you are parents, right? So you understand that when you have a child, you dearly love your child to love you. You love the child, but you would also like the child to love you, wouldn't you? That's how, how it is. And so this is how it is in relationship with God as well. So if you can think of God as not only as this awesomely powerful being 
who is your creator, and I, I feel God is my king. God is, God is, like, to me, God is everything to me. Not only is God those things, but God is this, this parent or friend that I can connect to. And God wants your connection. You don't have to give it, though. Uh, and God's not going to punish you if you don't. So, you know, a lot of these religious formats teach you that God will punish you if you do this and punish you if you do that. And obviously that's not the case at all. God's just waiting. God's constantly acting, though, in order to, get, get, to, to give you love, but you, whether your soul receives that love or not depends on a number of different things, which we'll look at in the prayer. But God is also constantly waiting for you to love her, to actually want a relationship. You know, just like when you meet a person, let's say, you, if you cast your mind back when your first time you met somebody that you f eventually fell in love with. At the time you met them, you didn't love them straight away, generally. But what happened is over time you wanted to get to know them. You felt this, what you would call a passion inside of yourself or a longing inside of yourself, drawing you to them. Isn't that how it worked? And as that passion or longing was drawing you to them, what started happening then? You started wanting to spend more time with them. You started wanting to know them more. You started trying to find out more about them. And it's exactly the same with your relationship with God. Exactly the same. It doesn't have to be based on a religion. You don't have to ever see me again. It's got nothing to do with me. It's got everything to do with your desire, your passion for this connection between yourself and God. That's what it's all about. Now, the way this connection works, remember, is that... So here's God. Is that a bit light? Here's God upside. So I'll draw God as a soul with masculine and feminine qualities. So there's God. God's got her divine love. Here's your soul. Let's draw it like that. That's your soul. You are really a half of a soul, but that's another discussion altogether. There's a connection that can be established between you and God. Scientifically, the way it works is that there's an energy pathway that can be established between you and God that is like a power connector. So you've all, most of you have heard me say this before, right? It's an energy connector. And the reason why I'm going over these very basic things again is because I want to understand that this is the most powerful thing you can understand at the soul level. And many of us think we understand it, but are not yet really understanding it. So I want to go over it again. This connection, historically, I called it the Holy Spirit. The reason why in the first century I called it that, and that's what most celestial spirits now call it, is because spirit, meaning a force that is connecting two things together, and the reason why I called it the Holy Spirit, it was, it was the only force that God has that actually transmits divine love into your soul. From a scientific perspective, what actually is going on is you're getting pumped full of love when this connector is connected. Does that make sense? From a, from a love perspective, which is actually a higher perspective than any scientific perspective, what's actually happening is God's emotion of love is entering you via this connection. And that's why we often call this connection the spirit of truth, right? It's not actually the tr truth, because God has other spirits, 
But in the sense, the Holy Spirit is a spirit of truth in the sense that without truth, the Holy Spirit can't connect. In other words, you have control of the connection based on how much truth you're in. And I mean how much divine truth you're in. And I don't mean how much intellectual truth you're in. I mean how much emotional truth you're in. Now, they are two totally different things. You see, often what we can do intellectually is that we can believe one thing and emotionally we can believe totally another thing. How many of you in the past have been in, a, in a, say, a Christian faith? How many of you have been in a Christian faith in the past? Like, good, three-quarters of the audience. Okay. How many of you, when you were in that faith, believed in hellfire? Like, you thought you believed in hellfire? Like, quite a few. How many of those same people, when you really think about it now, you never really believed it? <laughs> like, does that make sense? Like, because it, oftentimes we say we have a belief here, but it never actually entered here. So many of you never really believed in hellfire, even when you were practicing a religion that believed in it. Does that make sense? Now, how many of you actually have heard of the Trinity? You know, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Yeah? Okay, how many of you actually believed it to be a truth when you were in the religion you are in? Right? Far fewer. Does that make sense? So obviously what we have in our head and what we actually feel are two totally different things, aren't they? And often I ask, I ask people the same about like animals. How many of you feel it's okay to eat meat? Now, most of us at some stage in our life probably felt it was okay to eat meat, right? And yet, how many of you have personally killed a lamb? Or personally killed... Like, who's personally killed a lamb? In the whole audience, two, three people, right? Only those people really know what it feels like to do it. Does that make sense? The rest of us get somebody else to do it for us, which distances us emotionally from the act. Can you see that? If we actually had to go and do it personally, don't you think we'd have a lot more emotions about it than we probably have? So you can see how sometimes our belief system, so our intellectual belief is it's okay to eat meat, but when you go and try to kill the animal, let's see whether you still have that same intellectual belief. Does that make sense? Because there's a feeling in you, feeling, oh, this is terrible, you know, this is bad, and that feeling starts coming out. It's the same with all of these truths. Unless the truth enters you emotionally, it's not really a part of you. Can you see that? If it's just an intellectual concept for you, then it doesn't change your life and it's not a part of you yet. When the truth becomes an emotional concept for you, it will actually absolutely transform your existence. And this is the primary, this is the highest truth you will ever receive. And when I say ever receive, I'm not saying that down the track in the future there'll be some other truths that are even higher than this, because that's a possibility. But from what, from where I'm standing right at the moment, my feeling is everything else is based on this one truth. So. Whether we even receive another truth from God, which might be something to do with another quality of God sometime in the future, it's all going to be dependent, firstly, on whether we've received this one, the divine love. So from my perspective, it is the highest possible truth that you could ever connect to emotionally. But most of us are not connecting to it emotionally. Most of us are connecting to it as a concept, 
but yet to really let it feel, let ourselves feel the connection that we have between ourselves and God on a moment-by-moment moment basis. In other words, it changes our entire life because most of us are afraid for whatever reasons. might be we're afraid of our friends and what they'll say and think. We're afraid of our family and what they'll say and think and so forth and so forth. We're afraid of society and what they'll say and think. You know, oh, we can't do that. It's not practical to connect with God you know, every single day, all day, because in the end you've got to go to work. But you see, we're not understanding yet. The truth is that when you connect with God and you're permanently connected to God, your law of attraction is so powerful, you won't have to work. You know, you'll be able to actually grow a tree right in front of you and pick the fruit and eat it. Like, you don't have to do anything to do it. This is what happens in the spirit world. Why can't it happen here? So, So the truth is that God has all of these wonderful things planned for your soul, but they're all dependent upon your development in divine love. That's what they're all dependent upon. And the development in divine love is dependent upon how much you're willing to live in truth. How much you're willing to live not in your truth, but in God's truth at the emotional level. Not here, but in your heart, in truth. All right, so what I started to describe to them on that mountain was this connection that God wants to have with you at the soul level. And the connection was about your emotions and passions and desires being influenced by this connection so much that it transforms your life. And after I had that talk, the average person who was present at that talk that I gave on Mount Tabor never prayed for the next six months. In fact, the majority of the disciples that I knew, the male ones in particular, um, never prayed the entire time I knew them. Even though I spoke of prayer as the primary thing to do and, and demonstrated how to do that. So that's why when I passed, and uh, many of them weren't in the development. It was only after then when they started feeling their emotions, they started understanding some of the things that they started to actually have that longing for God. Uh, Peter, if we just get the mic for the questions there. You need to turn on. Right up. AJ, when you were saying they never, they never prayed at all, was that they attempted to pray and it was, uh, it was unsuccessful or that they had no desire to even attempt it? For, for many of them, there was no desire to even attempt it. They, they loved all the, they, they were like most audiences. They loved all the metaphysics. They loved the healing. They loved all of those things. But they didn't get this personal, they didn't get why I could do those things and why they couldn't. Does that make sense? And it was because of this connection with God. But for others, what it was is they attempted it, but they attempted it from their intellect all the time. You know, it's like, and then after a while they became very downhearted because nothing was happening. Because, to be honest with you, every time you pray to God in your intellect, it rises this high. Just the same height as your head is, right? <laughs> it doesn't go anywhere else because your heart's not involved and it's your heart that God feels and hears. So for many of them, not, there were a few who prayed, like the Apostle John, for example, prayed. And so by the time I passed, John was one of the most developed persons on earth, aside from my soulmate, because he learnt to have that longing. So, so you're saying that after you gave them that talk, they were, they were inspired to, to pray, but 
they didn't grasp what that meant, and so it was. And many weren't they even didn't inspired succeed. because they felt the, many weren't even inspired because they felt the same way that many of you do. Oh, here we go again. It's all just religion now. It's all just like God stuff, you know. I'm not interested in that, you know. That's how many of them went. So, you know, they were so interested in all the other things. But the primary thing that I was teaching that, that was the thread through every single illustration I ever gave was often neglected. Now, I'm not saying all of them did that, but I'm saying the majority of them did so, that. So why do you think that was? Could, well, couldn't a, they grasp it? Was it? Didn't you explain it properly or how didn't they know you, how to make the step? How many of you feel that God is real to you, really honestly? Right? So it's about heart. Now, how many of you feel that every moment that God is real to you? So now we're getting down to like in the tens. Can you see the re- how many of you actually live your life every single day like God is real to you? What does that mean, though? Well, that means that every single thing that happens to you, you think about your relationship with God and how it affects you. See, that doesn't happen very often. Is it all or nothing? Uh, Yeah. How many of you felt like, when you heard that, when I said yes? Unless you get to that point, you're nowhere. No, you're not nowhere. Because remember, every single time you learn a new truth and you, you feel about new truths, you're expanding your soul. You're not nowhere. But until you actually understand that your relationship with God is the most important relationship you will ever develop every, any single time in the universe, until you understand that, at the soul level, at the emotional level, then you're not yet getting the divine path. Does that make sense? How do you get to that point? Only by developing desire. And we'll talk, the prayer is about developing desire. So when we talk about the prayer in more detail in a minute, you'll see that it is about developing desire and understanding what's going on within yourself and how God connects to you. So that's what the sample prayer is really all about. So my suggestion is to allow these desires to build and develop. Now for many of us, we start, like you hear the, many of you heard the information 18 months ago about, about connection with God, right? But many of you are feeling really frustrated still, hey, about the connection not happening for you. It seems to be happening for some people, but, but obviously for many of us, not happening. Now, there's a lot of reasons why for that. Next week, we'll be having a talk about emotions of self-deception. And there's, there'll be a whole big area there where, where you're preventing your connection with God that we'll talk about. So the key is to understand those things. But the primary understanding that needs to get to us at the soul level is this understanding that God loves you. God is a real person, a real being who loves you. God is going to be, for many of you, the closest relationship you will ever have. And when you have God as your closest relationship, every other relationship will be enhanced because of that relationship. Your relationship with your soulmate, for example, will be enhanced. If you think about it, for any person who doesn't have that, they can only progress to the sixth sphere of the spirit world. In the sixth sphere of the spirit world, there is no soulmate union. You are together with your soulmate, experiencing life with your soulmate, but it's really not much difference to, it's much more enhanced, but it's not much different to spending time with a person that you love here on earth in a, in a sexual union. Right? What we're talking about in the soul union state is the 22nd sphere state. So there's huge progression that needs to occur between those two states. And that state, the two of you are one, like in all things. 
Now, those two states are vastly different and that comes about from your relationship with God. Nothing else. Nothing else can give you that other than your relationship with God. Now, in the first century I said, all these other things will be added to you if you develop your relationship with God. So every single thing that you're worried about right now, like many of you might be worried about where to live, like how much money you have, you know, what kind of relationships you have with all sorts of people around you, what kind of relationship you have with a children, partner, whatever, your, your work situation and so forth. These are worries that bombard you in this world that we live in, right? All of those things will all be sorted out if you put, as number one, this relationship with God. All of those other things will come to you because your, your law of attraction will markedly change as you work through things with God. So many of the things you currently worry about that you think are real are actually not even real. When you're at one with God, you will never even think of them again. Right? And that doesn't mean that you're blank when you're at one with God because it's actually quite the opposite. When you're at one with God, you are, in fact, the most powerful being you can be. But you will not ever have a fear-based thought in your life again. Now, how, how joyous is that alone? AJ, are uh, spirits who are perfected in natural love like that as well? Or do they have fears and doubts and worries? Um, certainly they have fears and doubts. That usually, remember, they've used their mind and their morals to develop in love. But sometimes what's happened, and most of the time what has, has happened is the emotions still are settled underneath the surface. And there is one of the greatest emotions that a six-fear spirit has, and that is one of self-reliance. Self-reliance means that you've got to create everything for yourself. right? Now, many of you feel that feeling of self-reliance so strongly that you, know, you, feel, you feel like you know no one's going to help you in life. Right now, there are many six fear spirits who feel exactly the same. They've enhanced and, and developed their natural love. They still don't feel that God loves them. They still don't understand a connection with God. And so they are still really in a state of fear because they can't let go of their own self-reliance. And when you let go of your own self-reliance, that's a huge transition that occurs. And when you let go of that, you start creating far more powerful things because now God can create them with your soul development, God can create them rather than you just doing it for yourself. But do they understand that that's what they actually need to do or are they just asleep to that fact? No, they think they understand. You see, many of, many, many of my audiences even now think they understand but as yet don't understand because we've got the, 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 the words coming in here. Does that make sense? And then what happens is, oh, yeah, that, oh, yeah wow, that makes sense to me. Isn't that wonderful? Right? Many of you have had those realisations, right? That makes sense to me. Isn't that wonderful? Wow, yeah. And then go away and tomorrow do exactly the opposite of what you recognised today was wonderful. Why did you do that? Because there's an untruth inside of you emotionally that is actually driving you that hasn't changed. And it's what's inside of this soul emotionally that is the real truth. This is why many of us can be absorbed in this intellectual, uh, intellectual um, simulation of truth. But if it doesn't change me inside of my heart, inside of me emotionally, I will never really understand it. 
Now, if I could give you an illustration, you could actually sit down with a man who's a mathematician. I'll say it was a man because most men are renowned to not understand love, although I don't agree with that. <laughs> but that's the that's the general opinion of most women, right? <laughs> and then um, he's a mathematician. So most mathematicians are very much in their mind, and they usually that's the thought that most people have. I don't know either agree with that either, but that's what most people have. So there's this man who's a mathematician. He's 30 years old. He's never been in love. Right? So if you imagine that for a moment. And you've got to describe to him what love is. How are you going to do that? Now, you might come up with a thousand words, right? And even some pictures. <laughs> right? Because a picture tells a thousand words, right? So you might come up with like a hundred pictures, a thousand words or two. And at the end of the day, is he going to understand what love is? No. Because he is yet to feel it. He's yet to experience it. You see, with every single truth I've ever told you, unless you're actually experiencing it and feeling it, you are not yet understanding it like you think you are. Does that make sense? And this very much applies to this. Unless you've actually received divine love, and many of us haven't as yet because we're still working through emotional blockages to receiving love, right? So we don't really notice the reception of love because it's only coming in in tiny little drips or not coming in at all because there's still these emotional blockages suppressing this love connection. Unless we've actually felt it enter us, we will not understand what it was. Does that make sense? Uh, Jen, if we could just pass the mic across. The... There's another one coming though. Hey, Joe, I've just been thinking about this and my concept of God when I was little was the man in the chair and the big white beard, which kind of helped me in a way because it made him real to me. So it made him personal at least. Yes. Yep. But now I'm thinking, why can't I make him personal to me now? And when you said about trying to see God as your mother and father, I've also tried that. But I've just realised because I didn't have a close emotional relationship with my own mother and father, exactly. that doesn't seem real to me either. So I can't um, connect to him emotionally exactly. using that way. Can you see why I've spent so much time talking about your mother and father injuries? Because really what it's leading us to is this connection with God. You see, if we have injuries with our mother or injuries with our father, or let's make it a little more wider, in its, if we have injuries with the opposite sex or injuries with ourselves or the same sex, any of those injuries affect your relationship with God. And that is going to continue that way. And this is where we need to start, right at the start of our development, at the start of receiving divine love, the greatest quality that we need is a quality of faith. Now, I'm not talking about some religious thing again, right? What I'm talking about is a quality that's inside of you that you can develop, right, that every single person has is able to develop, and that's this quality where we can actually believe something's possible without yet knowing it. Do you understand what I mean by that? So there, for many of you, on a purely physical point of view, you can see how that might occur. For instance, the Wright brothers who you know, got the first plane off the ground in a documented sense, right? They had a belief in something that very, very few other people had. And that was that they had these theories, right, that they felt inside of them were truths. They just couldn't 
couldn't work out how it worked, right? And then they, after a while, they worked out that if I do, if I design this wing just like this, and it creates a vacuum, they could start understanding the science of it, and then it started, it'll create lift, it'll have a lighter top underneath, and actually the amount of lift would have been a and actually we could get above gravity if we did that. Then they started to put that into practice, and when they did the first flight, their, their faith was proven to be reality. Does that make sense? That's what happened to them. And to be frank with you, every single scientific development in history has had this process, where the person at the start had faith in something that very few or no one around them had any faith about. The reason why you can fly right now is because somebody had faith. The reason why you can watch telly right now is because somebody had faith. And the reason why you can do all sorts of these technological things you can do right now is because somebody before you had some faith. They had some faith, and if we define the faith as they felt something to be true inside of themselves that nobody else around them thought was true and that they personally couldn't prove to be true at that time. Now, why is that quality so important with God? It's because many of us don't have a good enough concept or an accurate enough or scientific enough concept of God to even understand God's existence. So what we're going to do, and we don't even have enough understanding that God would actually have love even sometimes. So what we've got to do is start having some faith. And what that faith needs, to, the faith that needs to develop that if there is a God, and if this God cares, and if this God wants to connect with me, can you please give me some of your love? That's the faith that will motivate that first connection. So there are many spirits with us today who have no faith in God whatsoever or no faith that God is actually a God of love, right? And that's what they need. They need to at least allow this quality of faith to develop. Just like any person in history has had to allow the quality of faith to develop before a new invention came along. It's the same principle, exactly the same principle. It's not a religious principle. It's a principle of life. The, the only way the human race has developed is by somebody having faith about something and then they made it. Right? If I imagine God to be the parents that I always wanted to have, yes. then I could I could create emotionally yes. the God that I could connect to. Yes. Now, now you have to be aware that that concept may have to change as God actually tells you about herself. But in the initial phases, if, even if you just say to yourself, all right, what would I want as an ideal parent? And then you start conceiving God as that ideal parent. And then when you start longing for that ideal parent's love, see what happens. It's a scientific experiment. If you feel like you're receiving love, you'll know it, right? Now, many spirits in the spirit world can actually see the connection. It's a phys there is a physical connection that occurs between God and them. There's actually an energy stream that gets set up. The Holy Spirit is, a, is an actual energy stream. You could think of it like if you want to make some kind of... This is not true, but if you can think about it as some kind of concept, like a little wormhole coming from somewhere to a person, this little cord coming. In the spirit world, you can actually see it coming when the person actually has a desire or a longing, a pure longing for God's love. Now, the problem we have here on earth is you can't see that. All you can do is feel it. And now, when I say it's a problem, 
I don't really believe it's a very big problem because at some point you've got to start trusting your own feelings. Does that make sense? At some point, when are you going to do that? Might as well start with this one. Start trusting the feeling of love entering you from God. Does that make sense? So what I'm saying is see God as the most ideal being you could ever perceive with regard to love and then start projecting at that being the feelings that you want to have a relationship with them. That's what prayer is. That's what I was talking about with this group of people in the first century and that's what I've been talking about ever since. The reason why, it's such a simple concept, right? It's such a simple concept a child can understand it and yet the majority of people think it's far too simple so I'm not going to do that. I would rather go along to a mediumship class for three months talking about how to talk to a spirit and I'd rather do this and I'd rather do that and I'd rather do this other work and you know, be involved in all these metaphysical things than actually develop myself with love. What I'm suggesting is do the opposite to that. Focus on your love development first and let everything else slide. Because as you develop your love, your joy will increase, your wonder will increase, everything will increase if you focus on the love first. Does that make sense? Karen, thanks. <laughs> and microphone. <laughs> If I have plenty of faith that God can love, but no faith that God can love me, that seems to me to produce a block that God can't get past. Exactly, it does. We'll talk about that block in a minute uh, as part of the prayer. What Karen was saying is that if I have no faith that God can love me, but I have faith that God can love, then obviously I am blocked from receiving that love. And there's good reasons why, actually, Karen, why I'm blocked into that circumstance, under those circumstances, and we'll talk about some of them when we read the prayer itself. Yep. Jen? Um, I had to really admit that I was really angry at God. Yep. Admit it to myself first. Yep. And then... In admitting that I was really angry at God and well vengeful and raging at God, um, then I had to come to a point where I wanted that to change but didn't know how to. Yep. And then from there, I was drowning in that for a long time, yeah. hanging on to it. Yeah. And because that's all I'd really known. Yeah. For many of us, when we hear the term gone, even, we shudder. You know, how many times has that happened in your life before? You know, you start hearing someone talking about God even, and you're starting to get into panic. Oh, cult, or oh, this, or oh, that, whatever. You, you know, there's all these fears all rise, just even hearing the term God. So, you know, what kind of emotions do we need to deal with first before we can connect to this being who wants to give you her love? So, from then, I had to admit to myself that. It was actually really God that I was really angry at yep. for everything that had ever happened to me. Yep. And then to my... So you had to start getting into truth. Yeah. Yeah. And then I was really surprised, really, really surprised because I did not have an understanding at that point yeah. that the desire that I had in my heart, because I'd never done it before, yep. I'd never really longed to such a deep level, but I didn't know I was. Yeah. Um, so we, we can actually be in a religion for years, 
and actually in that religion really feel a deep rage with God, right, for all that time. And then all of a sudden someone comes along and says, oh, you're actually angry with God. You know, that anger with God, all that time we were in the religion meant that we weren't probably receiving divine love during that time. Even though we probably went to a church or went to some kind of talks and talked about it, and, and you know, you feel the buoyant spirit you feel about it, hearing about it, but because of that blockage, the emotion doesn't get received. So we'll talk about all of those emotions in a minute, actually, when I go so through the So then I was so um, keen not to believe that I was worthy um, of having God touch my soul. Yeah. And when it actually happened for the first time, Nobody was more surprised than what I was. Yeah, yeah. That God's actually there, a real being, and loves me regardless of where I'm, I'm at. Yeah. If I simply just admit to myself and then be prepared to just want something different. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I mean, I'm still working through all the anger. Yeah. And But it didn't matter that I... It, di- it didn't seem to... Ma- what I'm trying to get at is it didn't seem to matter that I'm still in certain lots emotions, of, lots of anger. Yeah, that's right. That it doesn't because yeah. it, see, see, it, it's the truth that matters. It's the truth that controls the connection. So as long as you admit the truth, now a connection can occur. Like this is what most people, what most of us are doing at any one time emotionally is we're denying the truth. And while we're denying the truth, no connection can occur. This is, the, this is why truth is so important. And this is why I've actually presented prayer in the way that I've had. Remember, the first discussion about prayer was about it as a physical and scientific possibility. The second discussion about prayer was the discussion of longing for truth. In other words, getting ourselves in alignment with truth, because truth means that we can connect to love. Then the third discussion is now the one we're having now, which is, Right, let's see how this works with regard to love and let's see how we can start utilising what we've learnt. So let's let's do that now. What I would like to do now is actually read through the prayer, which is on the last page. And what I'm going to do after I've read through the prayer is I'm going to go through it again, step by step, to show you the principles that the prayer highlights and we'll discuss them. So the prayer is our father, or you could say our mother, if you you prefer that, or my parent who's in in the heaven. We recognise that you are all holy and loving and merciful and that we are your children and not the subservient, sinful and depraved creatures that false teachers would have us believe. We know that we are the greatest of your creations and the most wonderful of all your handiworks and the objects of your great soul's love and tender care. Now, can you see already there's quite a lot of emotions that we'd have to work through to even feel that? Does that make sense? We know that your will is that we become at one with you and partake of your great love which you have bestowed upon us through your mercy and desire that we become in truth your children through love and not through the sacrifice and death of any of your creatures. We pray that you will open up your souls to the inflowing of your love and that then will come your Holy Spirit to bring into our souls this, your divine love in great abundance, until our souls are transformed into the very essence of yourself and that there will come to us faith 
such faith as will cause us to realise that we are truly your children and one, of, and one with you in very substance and not in image only. Let us have such faith that will cause us to know that you are our Father and the bestower of every good and perfect gift and that only we ourselves can prevent your love from changing us from the mortal to the immortal. Let us never cease to realise that your love is waiting for each and all of us and that when we come to you in faith and earnest aspiration, your love will never be withheld from us. Keep us in the shadow of your love every hour and moment of our lives and help us to overcome all temptations of the flesh and the influence and the powers of the evil ones who so constantly surround us and endeavour to turn our thoughts away from you to the pleasures and allurements of the world. We thank you for your love and the privilege of receiving it and we believe that you are our Father, the loving Father who smiles upon us in our weakness and is always ready to help us to, and take us into your arms of love. We pray this with all the earnestness and sincere longings of our souls and trusting in your love, give you all the glory and honour and love that our finite souls can give. Now, what I would like to do is talk to you about the principles that are here, emotional principles that are here. But before I do, I'd also like to talk about what divine love does to you so that you've got an idea of what it was going to do to you if you decide to receive it. What, the soul, what happens when the divine love flows into the soul through the, the connector, if you like, the power point, if you like, of the Holy Spirit, is that the soul begins a process of getting larger and expanding. Now, the way the soul expands is that it expands emotionally primarily. So what that means is that your capacity to experience emotions and passions and desires expands and it continues to expand exponentially. So what that means is that every time you, trans you go into a new sphere of love, what's happening is your soul has just expanded in its power to actually give and receive love and in its power to do everything else. So let's say you are a medium right at the beginning of this process. You can talk to spirits. As your soul's expanding, your soul now has this capacity to talk to spirits ten times better than you did before. And then as it expands again, it's a hundred times better than it was before. And as it expands again, does that make sense? If your gift is music or if your gift is art or if, whatever your gifts are, as your soul expands, your, gift, your ability to do these things will also expand. Right? The soul itself has an infinite capacity to expand but only under one condition and that is that it receives divine love. If the soul doesn't receive divine love, the soul cannot expand beyond what it was originally created as, which is a normal being, a normal human. And that's why any person who doesn't receive stops in their progression at the sixth sphere of the spirit world. It actually ceases to progress beyond that, to, because to progress beyond the sixth sphere, your soul needs to expand. And the only way your soul can expand is by divine love entering the soul. Does that make sense? It's the divine love entering the soul that transforms the soul into a new creature. It changes the way the soul works. When you started, when you were first born, you're, you could say that you were just a normal man or woman, a normal person, right? at the soul level. I'm not talking about what you physically look like. 
I'm talking about at the soul level, which is the real you, you're just a normal soul, a normal person, the way God created you to be. By the way, that is a pretty amazing place because that's the six-fear location place that was originally created. And so that's an amazing place to be. So I'm not decrying the amazing capacity of the soul in its normal state. But what I'm saying is that as soon as the divine love starts entering the soul, you now become abnormal. Right? In a good way. The way you become adult is your soul now has the capacity to experience emotions far more than it did before. And the more divine love you receive, the more capacity the soul has. As you receive divine love, your soul physically is changing. And this is a scientific fact, by the way, that we'll later at one point we will actually prove it to you from in the 22nd sphere state is the only place you can prove this, by the way. So all other states until the 22nd sphere state, you cannot prove that this actually happens to the soul because you can't see it happening to the soul. But when you get to the second sphere state, you can actually see a soul. And when you get to that state, you will see the soul expand and it will be proven to you that it's a fact. Does that make sense? Yeah? I think it's um, you partly explain why I feel like I'm going insane sometimes because the soul is expanding. Yep. Um, can the soul actually shrink? You know, like in the example. Yes. Of yes, totally. Every single time you do something that is not in harmony with love, your soul shrinks. Right. This is how the hells were created, because the souls shrinked and shrinked and shrinked and shrinked until they were creating hardly anything at all, which was the darkest locations of the spirit world. Yes, your soul can shrink. And in fact, for many of us on earth, we start out when we were just a newborn babe in quite a good state, and then our soul begins shrinking because of all the decisions that are made for us by our parents and the shutdowns emotionally, and then we make a lot of decisions, and, and our soul shrinks and shrinks and shrinks. And to be frank with you, there are many persons who pass in the spirit world who believe they don't even have a soul at all because they can't even feel a single emotion. Right? Uh, no, it can never come out of existence as far as it is known, right? So it can shrink to an almost infinitesimal tiny print prick, if you like, but it can't actually go out of existence. And it, it can grow from that point to this huge expanded place as well. So in the pageant messages, there are many messages of people who are in the hills who have said that their soul feels like it's shrunken or shriveled up. In fact, there's a message there from Nero, you know, the Roman Emperor Nero, where he said his soul was a shrunken, shriveled soul. And it began to expand once he started receiving divine love. So yes, your soul can shrink and your soul can expand. So as your soul expands, it's now the only way it can expand is by receiving divine love, right? Now, when I say the only way it can expand, I mean above the natural state, which is above the six-sphere state. So obviously our soul can expand to the six-sphere state if it's a shrunken soul here on earth, and then it expands. We can expand to the six-sphere state without receiving divine love. right? But that six-sphere state is actually your natural state. That was the state God originally created you in. right? And it can only grow above that state as divine love enters the soul. So divine love has the operation of changing your soul in so many ways. It also changes the way you interact with your body. Now, 
right at the moment, your soul has complete control over your body. You know, you think you have control over your body with your mind, but that's not true, actually. You, know, you try it. How many of you have gone on diets and not lost weight? Why did that happen? If you had control over your body with your intellect and with what you were pumping into it with food, why did you not lose weight? Well, something else was going on. It's because your soul has control over your body and it's your soul's emotions that determine whether you lose weight or whether you put weight on. Does that make sense? How many of you have got a disease and, and then you've gone down the track of trying to change all these physical things and you still have the disease? Like that happens all the time on earth, doesn't it? We die of diseases like that, where we've done this, done that, done this, done that, and we still degrade in our physical sense because we're not understanding one truth, and that is you don't have intellectual control over your body. The soul controls your body. The soul is your feelings, your emotions, your inspiration, your passions, your desires and longings and all those things. That's what's in your soul. That has control over your body. That even has control over every word you speak, every action you do, every accident that happens to you, every thought that ever goes on in your mind, all goes on because of something happening at the soul level. So it makes sense then that if we develop this thing, everything else will develop, doesn't it? If we understand that truth. And again, these truths can be proven. All you need to do is put into practice the truths and see whether, whether it turns out to be true, whether your capacity expands. So in other words, let's say I was, I was a medium and I decided, all right, instead of going to all these mediumship classes and all these metaphysical things and all that, what I'm going to do instead is I'm going to just develop in divine love and then see what effect that has on your mediumship. So that's a, that's a verifiable thing you can do in your own life just to prove whether it works or not. You can prove it with your law of attraction. You can prove that there is this thing called law of attraction, quite simply. By saying, all right, if I do what AJ says and focus on the soul creating my law of attraction, right at the moment I've got no money. So there's an emotion in me creating that. So what I'm going to do is instead of trying to go out working and get more money and do all of the things I would normally do, what I'm going to do instead is I'm going to focus on releasing this emotion from my soul that causes me to feel the way I feel about money. Now you can do that and then see what happens after that, can't you? It's verifiable you'll be able to see that. If you change nothing else, you'll be able to just change the soul's emotions. But the way you do that is by experiencing them. But then as the soul receives divine love, we're now getting away from this soul's normal capacity to experience everything, and we're now becoming this abnormal. I would call it actually a supernormal soul. Right? In other words, the soul now has this abilities that we never had before. And when you get into a state of at one with God, which is the transition between the seventh and the eighth sphere of the spirit world, this abnormality becomes very pronounced because now you have a connection with God 100% of the time, sleeping or awake. Now in that state, that is a state where you can create amazing things because now your soul has expanded literally thousands of times in its power to create. Right? This is how one soul in the first century created all the changes in the last 2,000 years that happened. Right? Because of the soul's power to create. Even though there was no telly, there was no videos, there was no worldwide communication, right? 
But all of you have heard of me, right? <laughs> right. Why? Because the soul has the ability, the power, the power to create that. One soul, your soul, has the ability to create that. This is not. This is applies to every single person on this planet and every single person in the spirit world. Your soul has this ability and power to, of immense creation. Now. That only happens through the operation of the divine love flowing into the soul. So it's important to understand it's the divine love flowing into the soul that actually creates this expanding soul, that actually it creates this expanding love that you will be able to reflect to others, that will be far beyond the normal love that you would ever be able to reflect to others as a normal soul, as a normal person. Because it's actually not your love. It's actually God's love flowing through you and out to others, obviously. Can you see how the soul is transforming you? The soul also has, the, sorry, the divine love is transforming you. The divine love also has the operation of actually f focusing on every single untruth that exists within you. So absolutely every single thing that you currently believe is going to be confronted in this process. You will half the time not even know who you are anymore because you have some very, very tight concepts in your mind of who you are which are not true and you will start losing all of those concepts about who you are when you progress as the divine love enters you you will also have this infinite capacity to give. Obviously, when I say infinite, it's going to be very finite for your soul depending on how much divine love you've received. But in the end, because we have this infinite capacity to expand, we also have an infinite capacity to give when we're in this state of infinite expansion. Does that make sense? I hope that made sense, but it didn't make much sense to me either. Um, <laughs> What I'm trying to say is that if your soul can expand in an infinite way, then obviously your capacity to give is also potentially able to expand in an infinite way. Does that make sense to everyone? And so, so at the moment, so spirits in the sixth sphere still have energy going out of them and they feel depleted at times, which is a normal thing because we've got energy going out, we've got to recover our energy. As the divine love flows through us, we have more and more capacity to give without actually being depleted. And we get into a state where we also can forgive instantly. So how would that be? Instead of something that happens to you, somebody comes up and actually shoots you, right, in the leg, let's say, and you actually instantly forgive them. So in other words, you don't actually have an emotion of anger or resentment or anything about what they've just done. You imagine being in that state. Like that's a pretty powerful, joyful state, isn't it, to be in that nothing negative that can happen to you will actually feel like it's harmed you. That's what the divine love does for you. Right? Now there is literally, and I've listed on the first page of the discussion, um, lots of things the divine love does. So under the section of what the divine love does to the human soul, I've actually listed a lot of the things that the divine love does to the human soul. And, I've, and there's a few there that I haven't mentioned either. But what is happening to this soul is it's becoming so sensitive to everything around it. 
So the reason why I can feel many of your emotions and I, can, I even can actually hear many of your thoughts is because the soul becomes more and more and more sensitive. Does that make sense? This is your soul. Your soul will do the same as you receive divine love. There's no different with... It doesn't matter about the person. What matters is receiving divine love. All of a sudden you'll get all of these different things happening to you because your soul is expanding in its sensitivity and its emotional expression. Its ability to love is going to grow. And obviously our joy is directly proportional to the love that we have within us. So obviously the more love we have, the more joyful and happy our life is going to become as well. That is also a part of this receiving divine love into the soul. Does that make sense to everyone? Can you see the advantages of doing it? (laughs) A few of which I've mentioned. Okay. Now, the reason why we need to look at advantages of doing something oftentimes is because we forget. And when you're in the throes of your own emotional experience and you're working your way through some really deep and dark negative emotions, there is this tendency that we have to forget why we're doing it. And the reason why we're doing it is because we want to be closer to God and receive more love and be able to express more love to others. That's why we're doing it. And our soul has this beautiful ability to grow. In fact, once we're at one with God, the divine love creates this state of at one with God, we go through this process called the new birth. Now, it's not a religious experience, although some people would call it a definite like way out there experience. It's not a religious experience, or religion isn't involved in it, but it's a process where your soul has now been transformed so much that it's now longer, now no longer the normal person, it's the supernormal person, right? the abnormal person. And what actually happens in that state is your mind now ceases to really operate as the controlling force of you. Now at the moment, for all of us, the mind is very dominant and controls a lot of our actions and a lot of our responses, right? But the more we progress in divine love, the less that happens until we get into this state where the only thing that happens is what we feel. We do exactly what we feel at every single moment. Which means you don't have to think of anything at all. Does that make sense? That's also what the divine love does in transforming your soul. It gets you to the place where you don't have to think at all and everything that you create is automatically harmonious with love and based on your complete desire. And your thoughts just come bang, 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 right from your soul. It's like you feel like, um, how can I describe it? <laughs> it's hard to describe to someone who's like, like obviously it's something I've experienced in the past and I'm not experiencing now as much and the, the, the difference is terrifying to me sometimes. Like how much... I think about something when, if I was just feeling in the soul, I'd be creating all of these different things all at once, which is what my state is that I'm used to. So if you can just picture that, that every single thing you feel creates instantly around you. So you feel hungry, you have food right there. Right? You feel like you want to um, visit somebody in Canada. You feel it and you're there. There's no delay between those two experiences, the feeling of it and you being there. Imagine that state, right? 
That's the state of at one moment with God. You feel something and you're there. There's no break in between. There's no delay. Everything gets created instantly as you feel it. So you'll actually, and you'll notice this more and more as you progress on the divine love path even before that state. You'll have a feeling and then all of a sudden something will happen. This happens to me quite often now, like where I have a feeling, oh, I'd like to talk to so-and-so, you know, and they ring me up. Right? That also probably happens to you at times, right? That, that is already happening. So you imagine your soul's ability to expand more and more and able to create that constantly. You know, everything around you being created like that. The soul has this wonderful abilities that are only, only activated by divine love. You know, have you ever done anything with resins? Uh, I don't know if many of us probably haven't. But the principle of a resin is that you have a resin and then you have a catalyst. The resin is like a liquid that you pour into something. And then when you add the catalyst, the resin goes hard. Like the resin is the, is the substance that transforms, sorry, the catalyst is the substance that transforms the resin into a totally different state. Right? So, you know, there are lots of different products that man makes based on that principle. You know, like even things like Araldite, how many of you have used that? You've got two chews. One of them is the catalyst for the other one gluing. And you could think of the divine love as the catalyst for all transformation that will occur in your life. Right? Divine love is that catalyst. Without it, you will only ever be the resin. You will only ever be one state. With the divine love, you'll be completely transformed into another state. travel to any place and manifest anything they want and uh, basically are in a state where they can um, just do anything that they desire. Yep. So but how, their how desires do, are very limited, Peter. How do, they get, how do they get beyond that state into the state of, of feeling and creating um, the way you were just describing? That only by, by receiving divine love. When they receive divine love, the fir- one of the first lessons they have to learn is a lesson of truth. So most spirits in the sixth sphere then have to regress and go back to the third sphere and learn the lesson of truth. And we've talked about the lessons of truth in past discussions. I think it was in the past discussion we had about longing for truth. So, so almost every sixth sphere spirit who has not received divine love will need to go back to the third sphere and begin learning lessons that they didn't learn when they were there at the first time. And so they will have to actually regress in their progression and start learning the divine love lessons that they could learn in these different locations. From, from spirits that already know the lessons or from God? Well, both, obviously. Every, all learning comes from God in the end, but, but mostly we learn because somebody else has told us something. And, uh, and then we put that into practice and then we start receiving divine love and that's, in the end, the best way to be taught. But, but often we need to first go through this feeling about the truth thing first. So many of you probably weren't aware in your life in a conscious level that divine love was available to you at your asking at any time. Somebody had to tell you that that was the truth and then you thought about it, you thought, oh, this is worth experimenting with, this is worth, you know, thinking about a bit, this is worth... And then when you start thinking about that, you start putting it into practice and then you start feeling it 
and then you can start validating whether it's the truth or not. And that's the exact process that these spirits in the, in the higher spheres of the natural love progression, from the sixth down, need to do. They need to allow themselves to start conceiving, in fact, there is this thing that they believe they know about already, but they've never experienced. Just like the mathematician believes he knows, might believe he knows about love, but he's never experienced it, so he doesn't know yet. And once they get to a state of feeling it, then they will also start living in more truth and they'll start feeling the emotions. Most six-fear spirits have quite detuned at times from their emotions. So they're very in tune with their emotions about creating new things, because that's fun, but they're very detuned from other emotions, such as their desire for self-reliance, which is an emotion. So they're quite detuned from that. So they need to work their way through those kind of things. Many of us here on Earth do too need to work our way through those things. Are they kind of addicted to um, one aspect of manifestation but not the other? Yeah, yeah. Well, you think about it. If you can create most of the things you think you want, um, you'd be pretty satisfied with yourself, wouldn't you? But if you can't conceive, in fact, that you could be creating it in a totally different way, then you won't know that you can do it. Like, how do you know what you don't know? Like, and every six-fear spirit is in a state of, I don't know what I don't know. I only know what I know. And that's what they put into practice. Right? But they don't know what they don't know. And all of us here on earth are the same. I know it's a sort of a bit of a little stretch to get the mind around that <laughs> statement. You don't know what you don't know. In other words, you can't even intellectually conceive the things you don't know, right? let alone feel them. right? So a six-fear spirit is in a state of not even being able to intellectually conceive what this state of emotional existence is like because they're only used to this intellectual state of existence. right? They're used to using their intellect, their mind, their morals, developing in love that way. They don't know what they don't know. So what the divine love does is expands your faith. You see, remember I went, just before I said, every single new development that occurred on earth occurred because somebody had faith that this imagined thing could become a reality, right? Well, for many six-fear spirits, they think they already know what the divine love is, and so they don't bother investigating it at the emotional level. See, this is a problem for many of us too. When we think we know something and have yet to experience it feeling-wise, we think we can ignore it. Oh, I know that already, you don't need to tell me that, is often the response we have, right? But in reality we are yet to feel it. Like Most of us have heard of the law of attraction, but how many of us are totally focused on what it's doing moment by moment in our life? very few of us. If we were, we'd be progressing very rapidly. But we're often totally ignorant of what the law of attraction has brought to us at any one moment. right? Because we don't, we, we automatically think, oh, I know about that. I don't need to learn any more about that. Is this automatic dismissal thing that we have, which also six-fear spirits have a ten tendency to have. Does that make sense? So, because they dismiss it all, intellectually or they don't even can, can't even conceive it intellectually, they don't think it exists. 
there's no scientific reason or no scientific basis they feel that they can prove to prove it exists. And so what they do is they don't bother with the experiment. And all the experiment is, if I have a passionate longing desire for the, God's love to enter me, it will enter me. That's the experiment. But I've had spirits in the sixth sphere try that experiment, but they thought they could generate a desire intellectually. So they're there trying with their mind, you know. Oh, I want to receive divine love, I want to receive divine love, and not receiving any, and then they say, oh, no, you're not telling me the truth. And yet in the same group of spirits I might have been talking to, the, some of them understood that it needs to be a feeling, an emotion, and those ones automatically receive it and they automatically move on. Right? So even then it's like this, we're so locked in for a long, long time in our existence generally to this mind being our dominant force. And we've got to get away from that into the emotions being your dominant force. The soul expands emotionally, not intellectually. Uh, I'm no cleverer than I ever have been. <laughs> but my soul is a lot cleverer than it's always, and always constantly growing. Does that make sense? Intellectually, I mean, I'm no cleverer than I ever have been. Any questions? AJ, is it possible for a, a person to receive divine love without knowing about it intellectually? Yes, totally possible. In fact, the majority of people on earth who have received divine love have received it and not known how they did it. Um, for example, many of you might go along to a, a music or, you know, like a symphony orchestra. How many have been to a symphony orchestra? It's quite a wonderful experience. So you're there sitting there and all of a sudden the... the the emotion of the music, how many of you have had that experience? The emotion of the music just overcomes you and you just go into this state like of just wonder and, and disbelief really. And how many of you have started to have tears running down your eyes in that state, right? Yep. That you were receiving divine love right then. And how many of you have like sat down with your child and just felt this so overwhelming connection of love that you just cried, right? Yeah, okay, when they're sleeping. <laughs> we'll talk about that one. But uh, <laughs> hopefully when they're awake. Um, and, and what happens there oftentimes is this huge amount of love just causes us to open up and then our emotions just start flowing. And often in that moment we're receiving divine love. Um, how many of you were sort of like members of a, like a Pentecostal type of religion in the past, like Christian type religion? Very few. Okay. There's been a few. And um, those kind of people often experience when they go to one of those churches, and my suggestion is to go along to one and see whether this happens to you, but just allow yourself to get involved in the music and the feeling of it rather than what they're saying. Because what they're often talking about is like the Trinity and this and that and all these things. You know, you don't need to worry about that so much. All you need to do is go into the feeling, right? Go into the feeling of it. And you will find in many cases you will feel God's love enter you and all of a sudden the tears will come and flow and, and you'll actually feel this sense that you were closer to God right at that moment. Now, most people do that over their life sometime. So many of us have received either a smidge of divine love at some time in our life and there's... It's rare for us to have never received any divine love. But the problem is that we don't understand how we received it and we didn't even understand what was going on at the moment we received it. Right? And so then we don't replicate that process. 
And what I'm trying to do is describe to you the process of replicating that over and over and over again, which is prayer. That's what it is. It's a longing, passionate longing and desire from your soul. So do we all understand the mechanism? Can you, like, this is a, if you can think of it as the science of receiving divine love, and I know it's been perhaps not that emotional at this point about our discussion about it, but at least we understand the mechanism because all of us are trying to still understand here many times before we actually put something into practice here, right? So, so do we understand the mechanism of what's, what the divine love and how it actually works and how it transforms the soul? Does everyone get that? Right. Now, what we're going to do after a break is we're going to talk about the prayer itself and what type of emotions you're going to be focusing on in order to, to, to feel these emotions of longing for love entering you. Does that make sense? And because the reason why we want to do that is because as, as we understand what emotions are preventing the connection between myself and God, we can begin to deal with each of those emotions on a, in a conscious way. And when I say in a conscious way, I'm not saying in an intellectual way, but rather in an emotional way, but exercising our desire and longing to work through those emotions. Because it's the emotions that prevent our longing from actually, from actually connecting. And it's our longing that drives how much love we receive. Right? So we need to understand that process.